You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa. I'm the CEO and founder of Rock, Paper, Scissors, a music tech PR firm. And if you're listening closely to Music Tectonics, you know that we've been diving into some of the areas we think are going to be most interesting during the current crazy crisis worldwide of self-isolation, quarantine, social distancing, and the downturn in the economy and live music and getting access to work and all that stuff. And so I wanted to bring on somebody who I highly respect, we've had before on the podcast, to help us just parse through some of these areas that might be especially interesting. I've got with me today the wonderful journalist Sherry Hu, who you know from uh, Billboard, Forbes, and other places, uh, and who carries on a great newsletter, uh, Patreon, uh, Content Flow, podcast, and more called Water and Music. Thanks so much for joining us, Sherry. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. You're calling in from Brooklyn, New York, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, how, how are you feeling with the current temperature of everything going on right now? Yeah, it's uh, it's been definitely a crazy couple of weeks, and I can't. I still like find it hard to believe it's only been a couple of weeks. I feel like so much has changed um, since uh, I like still very like viscerally remember the day that South by Southwest got canceled, and I feel like that was really a turning point for a lot of people in the music industry um, in terms of realizing that you know we're we're in this. Um, we're, we're in this struggle and we're in this state for the long haul in terms of like just the events industry um, kind of, you know, shutting down for a couple of weeks, if not a couple of months. So, so there's that. Um, I've definitely, so interestingly, as a freelance writer, my day-to-day um, has not changed in some sense in that I like work from home a lot anyway. Um, and so like my workflow hasn't changed, but for sure, um, my interest in uh, like what in terms of what I want to write about has absolutely changed. Like I had like a long like a Google Doc of uh, like articles I was interested in researching over the next couple of months, and I kind of just like scrapped all of that and realized like no, I'm much more motivated just to try to help uh, people in the music industry or in entertainment in general, um, all of whom have been uh, impacted. Uh, severely in like various ways by this coronavirus chaos and just try to um, help them uh, cope in the short term in any way, uh, navigate. Um, I mean, and we'll talk about this now. I think now's a really interesting time to experiment with different kinds of um, online platforms and technologies. And so um, just looking more into that with the specific angle of like, how can artists sustain themselves in the current moment? So that's also just been a really interesting and I think um like informative mindset shift on my end as well. I, I agree about the South by Southwest being the turning point of the moment. Um, it it was, uh, the, I think we were watching what was happening in China and Asia starting to come over to Italy and thinking, wow, wh- wh- I don't quite grasp this. I don't think people believed it. We got mixed messages from the government about what, you know, what, was this panic? Was this media panic or was this legit? Right. And then when South by got canceled, it's such a huge event with so many people involved and it's the anchor for so many, uh, you know, it's the spring touring. It's the beginning of the year in yep. a way for the music industry. Yep. And it was, it was, it was shock. It was, you know, it was just lots of jaw dropping at, at that point. So I, so I agree. And then a week later, two weeks later, you start to, or even days later, you start to see what is going to fall next. You know, what's the next event that's going to be canceled. And, uh, and it just was like slow moving dominoes falling and you knew they were going to fall. And the question is when, when are they going to stop? It's, it's, it's a little bit, it is a little bit, uh, it just, you just don't know. So, um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I've got relatives in New York, so there's the whole personal level. I get to see what it looks like to be in a densely populated area, whereas I'm in Bloomington, Indiana, where you can walk on the street and not run into anybody, and it's really easy to be away from them. So we have this weird this this weird domino from the planet and then also across the country that's that's so interesting to see um it's just ah, it's weird to be living it you know it's it's the kind of thing you look at a in a history book it's like it, to me it's like a world war in a way it's like a silent world war it's that big totally totally i mean um yeah this is kind of an aside but it's absolutely like a world war in terms of um debates around like government involvement 
Um, I think like the government has been debating um, like activating the Defense Production Act, I think. Right. To start like manufacturing more masks and medical equipment. And there's been a whole debate around that. So yeah, I think there are a lot of parallels there. One impressive thing, and uh, you, when you reflect on that big societal moment, is the ability of a freelancer to be so agile. I mean, you put out this virtual music events directory, t- like I think it was two weeks ago. Was it like March 13th is what I thought I saw? Yep. Yep. Um, and I don't even know how you pulled off this. And I know you've, I know you've been adding to it and editing it. You've got a, I think an edit today. So you can go to water and music and share who.com to, uh, to, to get into that flow and, and I think find this document, but it's literally a, I don't know, 10 page, 12 page document, maybe more. Uh, 20 actually. I'll okay. say it's like, <laughs> it's, it's like 10 to 15, um, for, for the section specifically about tools for live streaming and for virtual events. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, let's let's talk about this. So we, we're, we're, we're looking at uh, a series of episodes on music tectonics about uh, live streaming music, about remote collaboration, would throw in cloud-based music making, any kind of easy to start music making because in addition to professionals or people who music making was already, whether it's performance or recording, producing was already in their workflow, um, there's other people who might want to pick up something and there's so many new tools that make it or, or instruments, virtual instruments and apps that make it so easy to just start making music. And then I was thinking, I don't know a ton about it, but remote music education. I've got an 11 year old and a 20 year old, both of who have remote school and college right now. And my little 11 year old today started up his um, his first Zoom call with his classroom wearing a, a motorcycle mm-hmm. helmet. And it was just <laughs> the, <laughs> the funniest thing to see. He's just, you know, he's expressing himself through through that but um he's also his his drum lessons moved from in person to skype um so you know he's he's adapted to that really quickly but it makes me think those remote music education platforms there's also something to be talked about there but let's start with live music streaming um where to start i don't know i mean i i think uh we just did an episode with you now we also did an episode with emma mcgann who's a pro user on on you Mm -hmm. now um and obviously we're hearing a lot about twitch we work with bands in town who just is doing a festival this week it'll be over by the time this podcast airs but a two-day music marathon on twitch so much stuff happening there what let's let's start big picture i mean you talked about this in your in your piece um live streaming was kind of in this niche sort of experimental category nobody was ready to buy into it before this uh pandemic because people want the real life experience but now when people can't go it seems like there's an opportunity so big picture where was live streaming for music performances, where is it going right now? Yeah. Um, so I guess looking at the recent history of it. So as a technology, it's been around since like the mid 90s. So it's not technically new. Um, I guess all the major live streaming platforms people use today or like have used like Twitch, um, Facebook Live, Instagram Live, YouTube Live, those all launched, I would say, within the, the past decade around um, so those are relatively newer and there are basically two functions that I saw live streaming play in the music industry. One was just making um, an already existing in-person concert or festival available to a much wider audience. So probably one of the most uh, watched live streams in this regard is Coachella every year. Um, they like their, their live stream att- attracts tens of millions of viewers um, every year. Um, hopefully that will still be the case this year. And then the second function has been for more like informal chats between artists and fans. So like a ton of artists will um, break news, like break news about their own career, chat about their own career on Instagram live sessions. Um, One example is Megan Thee Stallion, the rapper. She actually like broke news about her contract dispute with one of her older record labels. Um, just on an Instagram live video. And that's like a very uh, typical use of live. It's just a very informal and intimate, um, yeah, kind of connection with fans on social media. Very rarely has it been used or relatively rarely has it been used to like stage a live performance intentionally. Because um, I think that, yeah, there always was this assumption that there is the in-person experience you can go to. Um and that's like the highest margin a lot of the time for the artist. And so um, the artist wants you to buy that ticket. And if anything, these live streams are just like brand building, community building exercises to, um, I guess, in the long term hopes of um, convincing these fans to you know show up to your show in person. Um, 
And I'm just thinking in 2019, there were a couple of concerts or campaigns that could be considered live streams, but really were much more um, like Marshmallow's um, DJ sets in Fortnite. Um, there are uh, a bunch of companies putting on like virtual concerts in a more like animated fashion. So probably the best known one is the Wave XR. Um, they work with Imogen Heap, um, Lindsey Sterling, Tanashi, um, and a bunch of other artists on like uh, virtual animated concerts where they're like controlling their avatar in real time using like a motion capture suit. So that's like much more, uh, I guess, like technologically forward looking, but all of those happened in the last year. Um, and it drove up a lot of interest, but it was still considered this relatively, I guess, more niche activity um, for a variety of reasons. We can get into like the culture around live streaming, especially on platforms like Twitch, which is really specific in terms of, I think, what um, viewers and fans are looking for that artists who are used to performing on a stage for a crowd, like might not necessarily be used to or want to engage with. Um, and yeah, kind of, as I said earlier, there was this assumption that like the live in-person show was the most important thing to invest in um, as far Absolutely. as performance was concerned, right? Yeah. And so there just wasn't like relatively, there just wasn't enough energy to spend on live streaming. And now obviously that has shifted entirely. Yeah. It seems like uh, the technology has been available for certain amount of this, uh, um, you know, uh, enough bandwidth, enough kind of infrastructure to actually get the video and the audio across to audiences in a way that's a good enough quality, not quite as good mm -hmm. as what you were used to on on traditional television because of of kind of like little stutters and pixelations and stuff like that. But um, the people that had tested out over the last five, ten years. Uh, just weren't getting enough of a response, especially for the investment of the technology at first. All those prices keep coming down for both the hardware and the software, the cloud mm -hmm. uh, storage and and uh, and the bandwidth for that matter. You know, all that stuff has just gotten more accessible and, and cheaper and so forth. But since it kind of failed, I, I would say failed for the most part in its early days, people were just not that excited about it. It's like, well, should I watch a concert on my computer screen or watch TV? You know, it was, it just wasn't, <laughs> it's it wasn't like uh, an MTV moment um, mm. uh, where where everybody was going to that, and then there was just already so much at the same time, you know, with YouTube alone, just so much music related content anyway. And if it didn't mm. feel like you were there, it there was no there was no benefit to it feeling live. Now, what you're talking about with Twitch and also you now and some other platforms where there's actually a I think it's a different medium is what it is. It's it's not a online version of a concert. It is a new type of thing. It's kind of like video gamers are into Discord, um, workers are into Slack. It's like a new, it's closer to those forms in a way than a concert because it is it is an online community interaction type of thing. So um, that's that's one thing that's interesting, I think, is, is the performance actually has to evolve for people to feel engaged. Mm. Um, that is so true. I totally agree with everything you said especially that point about um like just copying and pasting a live right. show in an online setting not actually being that interesting yeah because then like you might as well just watch that whenever you want on demand um you know and yeah and I, I i think a lot about or i have been thinking a lot about just the different nature of the artist fan relationship in a live stream versus um versus you know in in-person show so if we think about a typical show um at like an actual venue what's interesting is that like there is just naturally some sort of hierarchy by nature of there being a stage most of the time right so mm, like the, artist, yeah. the artist is elevated um they're on stage they're looking down at the audience and i guess the audience the fans are him looking up and being super excited and cheering and all that and of course the artist can interact with the audience but it's kind of like one to many it doesn't feel very like personal or direct it's just the artist like speaking out to the audience like how right. are you feeling and then the audience you know responds accordingly they respond Whereas... with free bird yeah <laughs> <laughs> right yeah or or you know whatever and um <laughs> yeah whatever, whatever or, or another song for a genre or just yeah. whatever yeah right <laughs> um whereas in a live stream um in a live stream one the stage 
is just the screen in my it's mind. Flat. Like there's like yeah, it's totally flat. There's very little hierarchy aside from the fact that you know the artist is in the screen and you as a fan might not be. I guess you're just in the chat, but the artist is also in the chat and like live streams at their best kind of I think get rid of that hierarchy. Um the artists are really like just conversing with fans, you know, whether speaking or like typing in the chat um on the side. Um it's a lot more informal, intimate, conversational. Um, and it, yeah, it's not about putting on a performance as much as it is about um, taking advantage of this really interesting way of socializing. And I actually, for, for some reason, had not um, associated Twitch with um, with Zoom or Slack in that sense, but it makes so much sense the way that you put it. Like, it's, it's just a different um, like paradigm of communication with its own set of rules. Um, its own set of, uh, I guess, like what it rewards in particular, um, right. that like it's very different from just like an in-person show. You know, as you're talking, and I love these conversations with you because I think both of us like to step back at a 10,000 foot level and then come up microscopic at a granular level and go back and forth to kind of like, okay, how's this fit into society? How's it fit in the industry? And then how does this actually work? And what's the implication mm-hmm. of this aspect of the technology or, or the workflow or the user, the use cases, things like that. And as you were talking, I had never had this thought before. It's almost like live music streaming is less akin to a concert and more akin to a fan club. Mm, um, I have so many thoughts on this. Yes, I agree. Um, <laughs> and there are many, there are many reasons for this. Uh, so one is the one that we, um, that, were, that yeah, that, that, that I just talked about in terms of, um, yeah, like the, the social nature of the platform being very different. I think another like technological reason or like commercial reason is that, um, and this is actually like a pretty similar issue that I've experienced on Patreon, um, other membership platforms is that um, live streaming discovery is really not that good right now. Or like no one has really solved it such that if I'm trying to discover a new live stream by say like a cool uh, electronic act or a cool like folk act, um, the experience around that, um, like Twitch has the best experience. And even then it's like a little clunky, um, I guess because they're gaming rather than music focused for now, they don't have all the right tags. And so if you're trying to search, like a lot of videos that aren't relevant will show up, things like that. And so, um, so because live streaming discovery is not that good, um, what I found, especially with these live streaming concerts, even if an artist posts about them publicly on social media, it's still like the people who will tune in from their homes um, deliberately to watch a live stream of an artist are probably already really big fans of that artist. Right. Um, there's like very little actual casual listening. It, it is just like, you know, regular touring in, in that sense. Um, but yeah, so I think, yeah, I think that only reiterates how, yeah, like live streaming, a lot of artists are performing for um, their audiences and fans who already exist, which isn't a, a bad thing, but I, I think it does pose a challenge for say like an independent or emerging artist who wants to get started on Twitch and doesn't really know where to start. Um, maybe they don't really have like a large social media following or large email list or whatever. And so it just like requires a lot more work to build that audience um, mm-hmm. on a live streaming platform alone. So yeah, th- that's just like a technical barrier to there being um, more free flowing discovery of artists' live streams. I think right now it's quite, um, I don't know if insular is the right word, but that's how I'm imagining it. It's just like yeah. artists performing for their own like kind of pockets of audiences online. You know, it's interesting not only to think about um, discovery of live streaming uh, concerts, um, and and one of the things you bring up with using that idea of is it insular is the fact that, you know, you might discover stuff within one platform, but if you're not on that platform, you might not discover it. Um, Mm. But even just the idea of concert discovery, I mean, for the last several years as streaming has, music streaming has taken, um, I mean, like Spotify type uh, digital streaming service stuff, not live, um, has kind of taken this growth curve. Uh, a lot of conversation in the early end of that was about discovery and, you know, lean back, mm-hmm. lean in, um, discovery, algorithms versus playlists, curated versus user generated, all that kind of stuff. And that discussion kind of has gotten quiet. But there hasn't been, in the music industry, in my opinion, a lot of discussion about discovery of performances in real life. And mm. now, 
that it's uh, now that that doesn't exist for the moment, um, it brings up this idea of discovery of of live music performances, and and I think especially across platform is kind of an interesting thing to talk about and to think mm. about because all these music outlets and music critics are doing these roundups, but it feels a little bit like an old concert listings thing where you still kind of have to yes. know what you're looking for, um, yes. and then there's the you know before there was the barrier of money and travel and buying tickets and and the ticket fees <laughs> now the mm. barrier is well i've never heard of that platform do i download it do i just go to the website do i have to i have to sign in how which user account am i going to use what's the etiquette for the interaction there um and should i not watch the latest episode on netflix versus this so it, mm. it's it's, it's kind of interesting to see this evolve right now it kind of like gives you a little bit of a laboratory for this concept of, of discovery around live music streaming because the supply just went up and so did the demand Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, th th there's a much, like, I guess, wider conversation to be had about, um, about like the complete switch for for now. It might change, but I think there's like a complete shift as well from lean back to lean in, um, music consumption in general. Um, there there've been various reports, and I've heard from various people that, um, like aggregate music uh, streaming activity has been down for the last couple of weeks. I think it's gone down by around like 10 to 15%, um, I guess, compared to like what they expect on a typical week like this. Um, uh, yeah, like for like last week and the week before, and there's so many different like theories coming up around why that's the case. Um, and I think, yeah, one is because people aren't commuting. Um, people are, I guess they're doing home workouts, but they're not really probably listening to like their Spotify playlist, just like in their living room. Um, like they want more like, immersive content so that th there's a lot more um video consumption for sure like uh you mentioned netflix netflix viewing is up for sure um gaming consumption's up um and so yeah this is it'll, it'll be interesting laboratory or an opportunity for um for artists in the music industry to really understand video a lot more as um as part of the core fan experience i feel like a lot of the time in the past um similar to like a live stream people would treat video as not as like uh, a stepping stone to like a, another goal. Whereas like now, because people are at home, like video is really like the end game, like it is the end goal. And so I think it's become a lot more important for yeah artists and people around them to really master that form. That's really interesting because um, a couple of years ago, when we first started hearing a lot more popular media coverage about self-driving cars, my thought was, oh, the music streaming services need to really pay attention to that. Because if you're mm. building an entire market around the idea that people are going to be using their eyes and hands for something else, all of a sudden you have a market of a huge market of people who will no longer need their eyes and hands for you know, anywhere from 30 to 90 minutes a day or two hours in some big cities, they're not going to be listening to music and, and staring out the window. They're mm. going to be on video content or, I mean, I guess they could be working and listening to music, but um, this is almost like a a uh, a preview of that moment. And there's another laboratory moment where music streaming mm. services could say, okay, what happens if all of a sudden people don't need their hands and eyes as much as they did when they were driving to work? Mm, yeah. which is yeah. I, it's, it's a creepy thing to think about because the <laughs> industry has worked so hard to get to this point where there's actually money now and to hear that they're going to take a hit not only on the live side but on the listening side would be frustrating for those of us who work in the industry <laughs> mm, yeah and I think just yeah another um, thought on this I think it, in general there's an industry-wide reckoning around just like the economics of the music industry and the realities of that um, and the reality that streaming, of course, um, there's two things. One, streaming, of course, uh, helped bring the recorded music industry back to a state of growth. But on the artist level, the reality is that so many independent artists um, and up and coming artists like, cannot make a living off of streaming alone. Um, and they have to tour uh, constantly to help make ends meet. And I think people knew about that but there wasn't I've seen the most conversation just about like that reality um in recent weeks and then there's also a reckoning specifically in streaming about the fact that so much of um how music is marketed on these services that have brought the industry to growth have like have marketed it as like a functional um 
as like something functional to be in the background of whatever activity you're doing. So if you, if you see like the way Spotify um, has advertised our service in recent years, it absolutely has been, I think like Daniel Ek, um, the CEO at one point used the phrase like music for every moment. And there's like very much a focus on moments um, on moods and activities. And that absolutely comes up in the kinds of playlists that Spotify is promoting, at least on um, its homepage or browse tab. Mm-hmm. And um, and there isn't anything like wrong with that per se. It's just that like that is that has driven actually so much of the growth, in my opinion, is like people seeing the value um, in a service like Spotify as an actual service to provide the best like soundtrack for whatever you're doing. Um, and so I think now, yeah, there's a wider question of like, is this model of just um, growing our industry off of being um, like a very functional soundtrack um, is that the best model or are there mm. other alternatives? Um, a lot more people are kind of looking into alternatives for like streaming as a whole and realizing like uh, just how many artists there are who um, cannot, you know, rely on streaming in the meantime. So that, that, that's been interesting to see. I, I, this is kind of a, a tangent from what our original topic was, but I, I want to yeah, follow yeah. up with something about this actually, Sherry, because it's something that's been on my mind and I've been seeing what you've been writing about the, the economics for the artists and so forth. I've been in the industry since the nineties. And so I got to see the physical, the, you know, when, when the physical market was functioning for a little while before, <laughs> before uh-huh, it stopped uh-huh. functioning as well. And there were whatever independent artists were there at that moment they were still struggling. It was still a challenge. There was no, there was sure. no strong DIY community of artists that were making their entire living off of just recorded music or recorded music and and touring. So I'm curious. In the aggregate, uh, it feels to me like there's just a lot more people trying to make a living at music because the the tools of access, not just distribution and marketing, but also production and creation. Uh, there's just so many more. I mean, so many more people doing it at all. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering if sometimes the conversation that streaming doesn't pay out enough uh, is <laughs> is accurate, honestly. And I'm not trying to be a jerk about it. I'm I'm literally, okay. yeah. You know, I I definitely. I definitely feel like um, you know everyone should should have a chance at a fair living and so forth. Although I will also say, creating art for a living is both extremely value imp- important culturally and to society, but it's also it can be a privilege as well for, for mm-hmm. versus somebody mm-hmm. that's that you know didn't have access to the tools to get that that point where they can even um, you know practice or have access to instruments or education or or whatever else and have to work in traditional, you know, blue collar, uh, uh, fields or, or, or whatever. But, um, Mm -hmm. but what I I guess what I'm getting at is there's this conversation about the economics of streaming, but at the same time, there's whatever those 60,000 tracks getting released on Spotify every day, I think, uh, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot more supply out there as well. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so some of those people, more of those people are out there who've recorded something and releasing something. They're going to say something about how hard it is to make a living. More of those people are going to say that than ever before, because there's more people doing it than ever before. And, Mm -hmm. uh, um, I'm just, I'm just interested. It's very hard to compare apples and apples between what it was like to be an independent artist in the 80s or 90s or the 50s or 60s versus now. I mean, you really couldn't mm. in the 50s or 60s. I mean, it was, you know, just having access to a studio was a whole other um, obstacle. But I'm curious if you have thoughts on on that since it's something that you've, you've talked about a lot. Yeah. Um, no, I am glad you, you brought that up because, okay, a couple things. Yeah, I, so I think there is a misconception, um, I guess, around how streaming payouts even work. And this is something that I've, I haven't found a perfect solution even like in my own writing about how to like talk about it. But um, a lot of people talk about like average per stream rates um, from streaming services, mm-hmm. um, which like, totally makes sense. Uh, it makes sense to compare those rates across services, but um, like streaming services aren't paying a specific rate. They have like a pool that they gather um, of like, I guess all the money that they're getting um, from subscriptions or advertising and then like divvy out that pool based on market share. So basically everyone's fighting for a piece of this pie. It's not, you know, like, um, it, it's, it's not, I it's guess not like an actual per stream out. rate for each artist. It's more of a, what's your average per yeah. stream because of where you sit in that market share cloud. Yeah. Yeah. 
so yeah, I, I have to, and I, I think Spotify's per stream rate, um, on average has gone down, um, for various reasons. And I think one reason may be because, um, there are just simply more artists releasing music. Um, th- th- there are other reasons, including like Spotify leaning a lot into discount bundles or like student or family discount plans. Um, but yeah, there are many reasons anyway, but like the per stream rate is going down. Uh, but that's just like an important thing to keep in mind, um, as well on the artist side is that like, uh, yeah, like it's not direct payment for consumption. It's like you're fighting with uh, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of other artists for like a piece of this pie. That's kind of like essentially what's happening. Um, and I guess the, I think the the conversation, one conversation that's happening around streaming now that I think is productive, it's, it's not so much about like whether streaming is paying out enough, um, but maybe it's like whether in terms of digital revenue streams and channels, we should be relying on streaming as much as we have been. Um, Because I think in terms of like digital marketing for music and um, I guess like earning income from digital sources, there has been like a laser focus on streaming. Um, There still is like so much of a focus on playlisting for a lot of artists. Like how do I get on this playlist? Right. How do I get to know curators? Um, Which can be really valuable of course, for like revenue in the short term and for just like general audience development. But um, as any like business person or investor will say, it's really important to diversify. And so I think uh, a lot of artists are realizing that like maybe it's not enough just to diversify um, between like streaming and touring and to have those two sources um, in this very extreme situation where like one of those two sources is kind of wiped out entirely for the time being. Um you have to look on the recording and digital side and maybe diversify on that end as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think Patreon just published a post saying that they've had like more activity with both uh, like artist slash creator signups and patronage um, than they have in the company's history, I think. So it's been a lot of activity. Um, like in the Patreon past couple of weeks? Percent. Yeah, I've, mm. since, since early March. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. So uh, easy for us to go on lots of tangents. Let's go back to live music streaming. And uh, uh, in particular, one really cool thing you did in the, the Google Doc that you created of all the streaming live streaming options is categorize things by free, free to play and ticketed. Let's talk a little bit about that because I'm super intrigued with the, speaking of monetization, super intrigued with how um, people are paying artists in that world. Um, I, I know, uh, well, free is pretty obvious, I guess. Um, you use the term free to play, which you you say in the piece is a term that comes from gaming. Why don't you just explain that real quick? Sure, yeah. So um, this is so interesting to me about the gaming industry because it, um, I think as a whole, the gaming industry is many times more um, valuable than the music industry in terms of just like annual, um, well, I guess annual GDP. revenue is many times yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly um and they've achieved this in spite of releasing many of their like most popular properties like um like league of legends like fortnite um for free and then um so anyone can download it and start playing it uh for free but then they have a lot of add-ons in the game that fans ha- or that, that users have to purchase um so that's the definition of free to play is that um kind of the lowest barrier of access to the game is free but if you want to um, like get certain uh, like skins for your character if you want to you know like buy certain tools or weapons like earlier on um, you have to pay a little bit of extra money um, hey Sherry is there a difference between free to play and freemium uh let's see because freemium is the same idea yeah. right you get something for yes. free and then you upgrade for more of something you yes pay. I th- so freemium um Interesting. Okay, so Spotify is a freemium service. Um, I would not characterize it as free to play in the sense because of the advertising. That, um, not necessarily because of advertising. I, I guess with free to play, I associate that with having a lot of different items you can buy um, within a certain game or within gotcha. a certain environment. Whereas with Spotify, the only thing you can buy is a, is a um, like a premium subscription. So it's the then, uh, it's yeah. the per item purchases that exist in free to play. The primary model there is to purchase this, purchase that, have a better experience. Whereas the freemium model is you get it for free, but if you want to get additional services, you unlock everything with a subscription. 
Yeah. And, and yeah, and I think the word play um, kind of implies there being like a lot more interactivity or a lot of like more choice on the part of the user about like what they pay for. Got it. Yeah. Well. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So that's free to play. Talk a little bit about what that means in live streaming, where you're seeing that. Um, are there certain platforms where that's the most common method versus say a ticketed model? Yeah. Um, I would say that the ticketed model is still emerging. Um, I think in part, in part because a lot of these like platforms that allow for ticketed live streams either like haven't existed for a while or just haven't gotten that much um, awareness before this moment. Um, vast majority of live streams are still free, and also there's not really a culture around paying for live streams yet. Um, and so most of the shows that I've seen, at least personally, have been um, on Facebook Live, uh, which like that is like totally free. I think there's like a donation option where an artist can like raise funds for a charity, but like that's the extent of it's not. It's I wouldn't consider that monetization. It's just like mm -hmm. more of a donation function. Um, on Twitch, you have the option of uh, like watching a stream for free, but then uh, purchasing these virtual currencies called bits in Twitch, and then gifting that to the streamer or to the artist. Um, so I would I would consider that free to play because you can kind of like buy however many bits you want based on I guess like how much money you have or want to give, and then yeah, then like give that to the artist accordingly. YouTube for select channels, they have something called super chat where. I think as a viewer, um, if you want to highlight your chat, you can pay a small amount of money and then your chat will, it's your, your text, I guess, what you put into the chat will be pinned to the top of the video or like chat form for a short period of time. And so, yeah, th those are a couple of examples of, I guess, like free to play dynamics. I know of a lot of, uh, I mean, tons of gamers, I would say all the like biggest gamers on Twitch, um, like gaming streamers make their money off of this free-to-play model and like from live real-time I would call them like donations like payments of this virtual currency there are a handful of musicians to do so you mentioned Emma McGann uh, I think she makes most of her money from these like real-time um, donations or tips on you know which is great and so yeah you know has a um, a similar uh, similar function on their platform as well um, one thing that uh, I I'm still researching but I find has actually been under discussed is like the legal reasons why um like ticketed payments for a live stream are not really a thing so from my understanding um if as an artist if you want to play um say a mix of uh i guess a mix of your own original songs and covers of other people's songs technically you have to get the proper licenses um if you're planning on monetizing whether from free to play or ticketed Technically, you have to get the proper licenses or clearances um, from the original owners of those songs um, to perform them so that they can get paid properly. Obviously, if you're putting on like a bigger showcase, um, that can take a lot of time. And um, in this super fast moving environment might take like too long. Maybe people are like looking to put up a show in just a couple of days time. Um, so I think in that situation, the only legal thing for people to do is for fans to um, I guess like donate um, or I, I've seen like, yeah, like a larger like label or festival will like post, like they, they cannot monetize their showcase, but they can post artists like individual Venmo or PayPal links being like donate directly to this artist during a Twitch stream. I, I've seen that a lot. And I think that's like the only legal way. Like, I don't think a festival can um, like, uh, I, I think can directly monetize from the viewer. Like the viewer has to directly compensate the artist somehow. So that that's kind of like a wow. complicated. I hadn't area. even thought yeah. about the whole songwriter rights side of music yeah. and live yeah. streaming yet. I've I've been digging into this, and now I'm like, wow, that's going to open up a whole other uh, flood of conversation uh, yeah. as it, as it grows. It's like anything in the music industry. Once it becomes a thing, <laughs> then people put their focus on it and either uh, come up with lawsuits or solutions. Right. Right. <laughs> Or, and hopefully, <laughs> hopefully revenue streams. Hopefully. Yeah. And I don't even yeah. know like what's the um, what's the streaming platform's responsibility for that whole side of it. I thought maybe PROs would just collect mm. from it, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think the only thing that's happening um, on Twitch right now, for instance, is that they do have deals with um, PROs and other rights holders to mute um, any part of archived videos that have third-party copyrighted content so um 
that yeah i've gone on a couple artist channels seen their archived videos and seen it like a couple of minutes just in the middle it was muted um for whatever reason I, they don't really have like a content id structure in place and they definitely don't have um like real-time content identification like for a live stream and i don't really know how that would work because uh like how would you get the clearances in real time to like do payouts properly it's it's kind of a complicated technological and legal issue i believe yeah that, that hasn't wow been yet. Yeah. yeah so um we were talking about free to play and uh and and uh you know these kind of donations or these other little shout out type things that you can kind of pay for chat opportunities and so forth we had uh the president of you now jake brandsburg on the podcast and he was saying they also have a subscription model but it sounds like it's sort of it it, it raises the status of both the performer um I'm sorry, the fan and the performer, if if mm. the fan subscribes to that that artist, they get an additional set of whatever, shout out emoji, uh, emojis, et cetera, types of animation stuff, and their status increases on the platform. And, and the more subscribers that the performer has gets their status increased, which gives the, kind of unlocks some discovery po possibilities for them as well. Um, so so most, most of the... the um, most of the kind of the the live streaming tools that you have that are are kind of in the monetization category are in the free to play side. You've got under the free, you've got the Instagram lives, Facebook lives, even Zoom and Google Hangouts. And I'm not going to give away everything in the free to play side because you have to subscribe <laughs> to Sherry's stuff to get this stuff. But you know the types of things we're talking about, Twitch, you now. There's a few others that she talks about in the um, in the free to play section, and then the ticketed one. I don't even know if we should go there right now. I keep hearing Stage It mentioned, and maybe it's because because they're the oldest of the group. Mm. Um, but you also point out that Patreon has a, a live streaming piece, um, which is kind mm. of an interesting hybrid because you don't think of it so much as a ticketed thing, but it's more a part of that subscription micro patronage model. Yeah. Um, and this is, I think, another um, important conversation that's being had around like the sustainability and business models around live streaming um, is how to really like sustain this experience for the long term if that's what we're looking to do as an artist um because uh yeah I, I i feel like there are only so many artists in the world who can continue to like survive just off of these donations from viewers um i think right. uh especially if you're looking to live streaming as a um as a direct stand-in for touring like over the next couple of months um, there has to be some kind of like deeper recurring revenue or recurring experience for fans or viewers built in. And yeah, Patreon is just one of many ways that you could go about doing that. Yeah, lots of great stuff in there. You know, we said we were going to talk about remote collaboration and, and we're kind of um, taking up a, a full episode at this point. Uh, but let's just let's just touch on it briefly before we before we wrap up. Um you know, I'm just intrigued because I think right now is a moment when people want to be making music. It's hard with social distancing. It's hard with orders not to go into work, to go into the stu shared studio space and so forth. Uh, what are you seeing on the remote collaboration side right now? Yeah, um, it's been super interesting because right before um, all of these like event cancellations and um, lockdowns started happening, I had read a bunch of interviews um, with artists who were saying that they've noticed like more people wanting to go in person into the studio to collaborate instead of doing it remotely. So I guess this is mostly in the hip hop world. Like there was a, I think Kate Trinata, um, one of my favorite like electronic and hip hop producers, he had an interview in GQ where he was saying this, like, um, oh, I can just like do more collaboration remotely, but I've been noticing more people wanting to meet in person in the studio. Um, and it's now, yeah, now that is not, possible in, in a lot of places. Um, and so I am seeing a lot more interest in um, platforms like Splice, for sure. Um, I think, I think, I think there certainly is an opportunity now for a lot of these remote collaboration tools like Soundtrap, which Spotify owns, um, for these like marketplace platforms like, um, like BeatStars. Um, I know it's been doing a ton of outreach to producers right now saying like, Oh, you should like put your beats up on our um our marketplace and like start collaborating and um and interacting with fellow producers online in that way in more of like a marketplace environment. Um Spotify also owns Sound Better, which is more of like a services marketplace. So if you want to like find a producer or performer or vocalist, um, that's like a good place to go. Um yeah, I think there'll be a lot more activity uh on those sites, but um I have I mean 
I, I think I'm noticing in at least in the short term just a lot of uncertainty in a lot of cases because I have talked with some artists who had like planned all these studio sessions um, for this new album that was coming out and they were really excited about it um, and I, I think it really depends on who you are but some people like strongly believe that you need to be in person to have that like uh, that creative magic of you know like working face to face and coming up with something out of the blue um, it's not really the same um, these people say like if you just do it on zoom or over skype or something but um, but I mean I think yeah in certain genres like electronic and hip-hop um, remote collaboration has been happening for a really long time just just by nature of where people are in the world by nature of the the genre and the format itself and so yeah I think that will just be more normalized than it already is that's actually really interesting to think about um, which genres will proliferate with more remote work than others. I mean, they already are, obviously. Mm. Anything that's loop-based, anything that's mm. beat-based, uh, a lot of electronic forms where it's easy to lay down a track and somebody else to collaborate by laying down another track versus a more organic, acoustic type of genre where obviously there's stuff that goes on in studios and so forth, but it's harder to do that remotely without that in-person energy sometimes. Really interesting mm. to think about that. And so you talked about some interesting marketplaces, um, some both both for for like those those tracks or samples, things like that. Uh, but then there's also the cloud-based music making apps that could could involve remote collaboration or maybe don't as well, which is a whole other interesting category. We just had um, the founder of Endless with three S's on the, the podcast, which is uh, just launched March 31st in the iOS store where people are mm -hmm. making, it's almost like a text messaging beats type thing. I mean, it doesn't feel like text messaging, but you start adding your beats and somebody else starts layering on top of it in real time. And you get that kind of, you get a little bit more of that real time back and forth collaboration, really, really kind of cool way so it'll be interesting to watch mm. um how that's taking off an artist named flux pavilion is is using that heavily just released a track mm. every day in march um from from that app um he's also big i think on, on twitch as well um and then just you know the ease of making music of you know should i play you know uh, animal crossing right now <laughs> or, sh or should i just make a beat <laughs> you know there's it, when people have more time on their hands and more solo isolated time uh quiet time it'll be interesting to see if people pick up these apps um danny deal from the verge just released an article that's a list of a ton of free or free yep. for a while apps and instrument virtual instruments for making music so there's lots to lots to dive in there before we wrap up is there anything else you want to put into this mix about remote collaboration or music making in this moment of self-distancing sherry um yeah let's see uh i think now um and yeah this has to do with like remote collaboration um or remote work in general um so th this actually uh came up in another uh i guess like virtual um music industry meetup that has been taking place this week hosted by troy carter um mm. yesterday um yesterday he moderated a panel with a bunch of like higher up curators from all the different streaming services so like tuma basa was there um carl sherry from spotify was there um and a, bu a bunch of other people kind of in that space and the this issue of like networking and relationship building came up um because so much of like playlist pitching like after a certain level still has to do with like face-to-face -face meetings it's almost like kind of like doing like a radio promo tour like you have to go to the office in person and like pitch to the curator in person um but now the because you don't have that in some way the the, the playing field is more level than ever because people um like people don't really want to do like so many of those like face-to-face -face meetings like over zoom or over skype or whatever um and so it's just i think this is my personal opinion maybe i'm more of an optimist i think there's um, so much more opportunity for people, um, especially like outside of main music cities. So like anywhere um, in the US or like anywhere around the world um, to really like cut through the noise with mm. really interesting music, really interesting video or just other kinds of content. I think now is actually a really good time for that um, because of this extreme situation where um, like not many people can travel or get access to those more intimate or exclusive meeting opportunities so um yeah so i guess i all that to say i would encourage um anyone in any like creative field to take advantage of that to, to mm. take advantage of 
being able to um, like access and interact with talent from all over the world now and not and truly not being restricted by geography or travel. Wow, that's that's great. A great lead in to uh, something that I want to announce right before we wrap up here, which is that Music Tectonics and Rock Paper Scissors is, had did had just did some um, online meetups in lieu of South mm-hmm. by Southwest getting canceled. We did four of them, super super popular, um, and it's real, realize it's not just curated programming, but it's curated audiences too, because it's the types of folks that listen to Music Tectonics, the podcast, and read Sherry Who and go to the conference um, and things like that. So we've decided to do weekly. Web's Days. They're meetups every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern. Uh, the first one is April 1st. Uh, not sure if we'll get this episode up in time for that, but if so, that one's focused on live streaming, continuation of this conversation. The next one will be on remote collaboration, and we're actually looking for your suggestions. So hit us on social media for what other topics and companies we could have to kick off the conversation, but everyone gets a chance to do a shout-out and an intro. Um, Sherry, this has been fun. I wish we could go on longer. If you ever want to come back and continue continue either of those topics you know i always love having you on the podcast i'd have you on every week if you had the time um so so you keep me posted if you want to jump on some more (laughs) sounds good yeah thank you now tell us real quick where people can find you tell us about your patreon any other final shout outs you want to make about what you're doing right now yeah so um people can find me on my website which you mentioned briefly earlier but again that's um sherryhu.com c-h-e-r-i-e hu.com you can find a portfolio of my previous writing um on that site as well um i'm on twitter a lot you can add me follow me there or message me um at sherry who at 42 numbers 42 and um there and also on my website you'll find links to my newsletter called water and music which comes out every week and it's about innovation in the music industry um there's a membership experience around it um that is on patreon um and you can either find that on the web on my website or at patreon.com slash sherry who um and there are you can pay as little as three dollars a month or as much as 200 or more dollars a month if you're looking for more deeper um kind of like consultation type experiences as well um and yeah there are a wide variety of benefits across all those tiers all related to more insights and more resources on music and tech and innovation in the industry so cool that you not only write about this stuff, dig up this stuff, report it for artists and other in the industry, and then you role model it. You actually do this stuff yourself, and you're quite good at it. I'm really impressed, and um, I'm I'm sure it's been challenging at moments, but putting together all the pieces of multiple revenue streams, but also creating community. You're you're amazing at that, and it's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast again, Sherry. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thank you. My pleasure. And thank you for joining us on Music Tectonics. Please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast uh, platform and go to musictectonics.com. Check out the information about weekly Wednesdays. Sign up for the newsletter. You'll hear about our online meetups. You'll hear about the conference that we're doing October 27th and 28th in Los Angeles once this world gets back to normal. Thanks so much for listening. Listening to Music Tectonics.